right, if you want to get your Bibles out and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that's where we're going to be studying from. I like to do uh, studies through books. We've been doing a good bit of topical studies in the AM, but we're still doing our diligent uh, studies in the books in the PM. We're going to continue that tonight in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, if you're visiting, we thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, we want you to know you're especially welcome. Uh, we're here to study God's Word together and worship Him and praise Him, and we hope that the things we do are pleasing to Him. If you have any questions or comments about what we do, we'd love to hear back from you and uh, understand how we could serve Him better. Uh, our goal is to uh, be the body of Christ, and that's our focus throughout this year, is to be the body of Christ, that what, what God has called us to be is what we're doing. Uh, and as part of that, I, I decided to do a, a little mini-study in the first four chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, this is a book uh, that starts off really talking a lot about the need for unity in the first nine verses, ten verses maybe. And then he transitions over to the fact that there's a lack of unity in the church that's meeting at Corinth. Uh, they, they are uh, divided, and there is a lot of divisive behavior going on, and he seeks to address the divisive behavior. Uh, do you engage in any divisive behavior? Is that something that you see in yourself? A lot of times people engage in that, and, we, and they don't see it. Uh, we know of people who have engaged in that and maybe uh, have caused a lot of problems between the relationships of members and, and family members and, and maybe even church members that, of, of congregations we've been a part of. Maybe we know of congregations that have split uh, as a result of someone's divisive behavior or a group of people who have, who have divided themselves and, and separated themselves from everyone else. Uh, I don't, I don't want to teach this because there's a problem here. <laughs> That's not the reason. But as a preventative measure, uh, we don't want to have those characteristics in the body. We don't want those to develop in any of the members uh, that are here, that we would be divisive uh, because that ultimately does not bring glory to God. It's not so much about, oh, it's messing up our church and the, the joys and the experience of coming together but it's really ultimately about God not being glorified uh, the way that he's supposed to be. As the body of Christ, that's our mission. That's our goal is to glorify God. So uh, we're not, we're not going to engage in divisive behavior if we can help it. Uh, so the goal of our study tonight and throughout this, the course of this mini-series is to learn divisive behavior that we might not realize we're engaging in and to avoid it. Uh, so... That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, as we go into this section that we're going to be studying tonight, we see that uh, there's been a problem that has started to develop in the church, and this is kind of the beginning of the problem. And so uh, if, if we're engaging in this right now, there's no divisions really, but there's the signs of, of issues, and so we want to address that right now. Uh, start with me in verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. We talked a little bit about this last time we studied in 1 Corinthians, how verse 10 is this overall statement. He's given us all these things that unite us, that, that we have together in Christ, that we have that salvation and sanctification and, and all the, the blessings that he's given us. In Christ, but now he is appealing. The appeal is made to 
to the brothers in Corinth that you all agree. That's not an easy task, is it? Uh, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. I mean, that is a call for uh, a lot of work, really, uh, because we're all different and we're coming together to form a body. And so that we all might agree that there be no divisions and that we all have the same mind and same judgment. That's a hard thing. But notice again, he says, I appeal to you. Paul is appealing by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Jesus' appeal. He's doing this, Paul is appealing in this way, on Jesus' behalf, in the name of the Lord Jesus, he is appealing that they all agree and that there be no divisions among you, that they all have a united mind and judgment. That's what Jesus desires for his church, that we would all agree in this way. Uh, and as we think about divisiveness... Uh, before we kind of get into the divisive behavior, I want us to just think for a minute about what is worth dividing over. If Jesus desires for us to agree, where should we draw the line? And where should we say that is uh, something that's worthy of dividing over? Uh, you see how the line has to be drawn at a certain point. There's a point at which we have to say, okay, I can no longer be joined to you. I can no longer agree with you. But where is that line exactly? How many people have we known who've drawn the line in a place that is more in line with their personal preferences or their opinions? That's a, that's a struggle uh, that, that we might have, that we might draw a dividing line on the basis of personal preference and opinions, okay? So we don't want to draw a line on that basis, but there has to be a line that's drawn at some point, uh, and, and we have to understand where that is. But until we reach that point, whatever that point is, we should be seeking to be in agreement with one another. You know, if, if, if you're my brother and you've not yet crossed that line and we're all on the same team and we're all part of the same body, then... You know, my preferences and my opinions going out the window is worth it to stay united with you, to have agreement with you, to have uh, no divisions, because that's what Jesus wants us to have, that unity with one another. And so our mindset should be, how can we prevent division? As long as that line is not crossed, wherever that line is, at some level of false teaching, at some level of uh, going against the commands of Christ and living in obvious defiant rebellion against his word, at some point, whenever we've decided that is the line, we will go no further, okay, there can be division. But up until that point, we need to be thinking, how can we prevent division? How can we prevent division? How can we come together instead of separating out into different groups? Because really, that's the problem at Corinth. They have decided that it just, it'd be okay if we create sides. And, and I've got my preferences, and I'm over here, and you've got your preferences, and you're over there, and we're divided, and we're separate, but that's okay. That's no big deal. And, and Paul's going to tell us, no, that's not okay. Look at verse 11. He says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. <laughs> Chloe's house has told on you. 
uh, how would you like to be in a congregation like this? And I get a letter out from uh, Patty Kendallball, who's preached here for a long time before I got here, and, and he tells us, it has been reported to me by Ken Harris's house, you know, yeah, everybody looks at Ken Harris, right? That's, that's the feeling, right? Uh, it has been reported to me by Chloe's house that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Can you imagine that? They know there's been quarreling, right? Chloe's not lying. They know there's been quarreling, but Chloe didn't have to tell them about it. <laughs> but she did. Because Chloe knew that this can't be. That the body of Christ cannot continue to glorify God if it is in a state of quarreling. And she cared enough and her people cared enough about the body of Christ to reach out to Paul and get him to have some kind of impact on what's going on there. But as we see this, uh, there's quarreling among you. Continue reading. Verse 12 says, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. Or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, that's Peter, or I follow Christ. Men are choosing sides in this. In all this congregation of men and women at Corinth, they've decided that they're Christ followers, but they're also Paul followers, and they're also Apollos followers, and then there's some who are Peter followers, and they're all separated out. And I don't know that there's any doctrinal differences among these folks, but there is this, maybe, I, I like what Paul taught me about this, and so I'm going to follow it, and I'm going to teach it the way he taught it. Well, Paulus came, and he taught it a little bit differently, saying the same thing, and I'm going to follow his way. And maybe there is some uh, discussion about who likes who more, which preacher's better than the other preacher, and and I was uh, a follower of this one. I was here when this preacher was here. Oh, well, I was only here when this preacher was here. And there's something like that that's going on in the church where they, they are holding up men and they're saying, we are siding ourselves with these people, that this person is great. And notice what Paul says in response. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Notice Paul doesn't argue for his side. He doesn't say, um, you say I follow Paul. Why aren't you all saying I follow Paul? I was the one who came and established this church. You should all be followers of me. And he said later, as I follow Christ, that maybe is that attitude. But you see how there's not this braggadocious attitude that you should be following me. Apollos came later. He's this young whippersnapper who's very eloquent, but come on. I was there with you at the beginning. He doesn't do that. Uh, instead, he, he makes this point. Christ is not divided. Creating and choosing sides divides Christ. And that is not the way the body of Christ is constructed. It's not okay for Christ to be divided. God's not okay with that. Jesus is not okay with that. There'd be no divisions. There'd be all agreement among God's people. All of this is wrong. I thought I fixed it. All right. Uh, do any of these men compare to Christ? And that's the point that Paul is making. Do any of these men compare to Christ? Well, of course not. 
I mean, these are all servants for, Paul, for, for Christ. And we're going to see that later. He's going to bring that out. But none of them compare. He starts out with, was Paul crucified for you? He doesn't say, was it Paul? He points to himself. I wasn't crucified for you. All of you who are following me, why are you following me? I wasn't crucified for you. And then he doesn't point out, you know, the people who said, I follow Christ. You guys are right. Did you notice that? Why didn't he say that? I thought, well, I follow Christ. That's the right response. You know, that's the way we're supposed to be talking. Uh, we're supposed to say, I follow Christ. I don't follow all these men. Well, do you see how that is also kind of buying into the choosing sides? You're speaking the way they speak whenever you say that. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Well, you're arguing. And instead, the way that Paul words this is, we all follow Christ. He doesn't say, I follow Christ and you don't. He's making this point. Paul follows Christ. Apollos follows Christ. Peter follows Christ. We all are trying to follow Christ. And all of these men who are working are trying to get you to follow Christ. We all together are focused on following Christ. We mean nothing. The, the people who have spread Christ's word to you mean nothing. Christ means everything because Christ was crucified for you. You were baptized in the name, by the power, by the authority of Christ. Through him, you have received the resurrection to walk in new, in new life. Not through me, not through Paul, not through Apollos, but through Christ. Christ is everything. And so that has to be the focus of the group in Corinth. I'd like to just kind of take a second here and, and talk for a minute about Preachers and listeners. Think about all the preachers that you've known, maybe preachers that you've seen online, maybe preachers that you've listened to. Uh, if you've ever preached, think about yourself. How would preachers feel about someone saying, I was taught by Casey Gray? Somebody says that in this congregation, and they speak like, it's a big deal. <laughs> How would I feel? I mean, I'd be pretty flattered to think that you think so much of my words that you would say, I was taught by Casey Gray. You know, I'm not old enough for anybody to do that, never heard it, and I hope I never do. Um, but I have heard people talk like that. I have heard people uh, lift up men in that way, and maybe you also have done that. And, and as preachers... There may be some of us who like it, who, who enjoy being promoted. But Paul doesn't, doesn't really care about that. You know, he really, he could have just laid on his resume. In 2 Corinthians, uh, he kind of goes through a resume of weaknesses. Uh, but in, in Philippians, he tells them, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews according to the law. I, I studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He could have just laid it on real thick and let them know, you know, I am better than Apollos. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him whether or not the Corinthians like him more than Apollos. It doesn't matter. And as preachers and teachers, we can develop a sense of pride. It's really easy to have a sense of pride. And a thinking that uh, people look up to you and respect you and think that you know a lot. And so they follow you and they listen to every word. And maybe you've heard people say, well, my preacher says. 
Maybe you said that. You see how that's the divisive behavior that's going on, that he's talking about. It seems so small. It seems so insignificant to lift up a man who has impacted our lives, who has said things that we have appreciated and we've learned a lot from and we've grown from. It seems so insignificant to lift them up and to encourage others to also lift them up. But Paul doesn't want that. And I think as preachers, we shouldn't, we shouldn't either. And I think also in this, we see that there's a danger to us as listeners. Uh, that we can be drawn to certain personalities. Uh, and we could, we could hold up certain personalities and certain preachers and people as being great. And we lose sight of the one who is truly great. Because we don't see Jesus in front of us at the moment, and we see this preacher right in front of us who, who is very eloquent. I mean, Apollos was apparently the stuff. Uh, he's very eloquent. He captured their attention, and he said everything. He's very educated. He knew what to say, how to say it, be persuasive. And it's very easy for us as listeners to just be drawn to that person and to think so much of them. And, and really, we hold them in higher esteem than we hold Christ. We love them in some ways more than we love Christ. And Maybe we, we get real proud of the fact that we go to the church that he preaches at or he teaches at or we get to study privately with him uh, or spend time with him. Uh, and it can become kind of a competition. And it, it seems as though that's what's going on here, that there's some level of competition between listeners uh, that, that they, they would say, I love this guy, and this is my guy, and, and I'm better than you because I follow this guy, and I studied at his feet. Kind of like the way Paul said, I studied at the feet of Gamaliel. A sense of pride and arrogance. We ought to be careful about that. Because ultimately, all of those who preach and teach are getting their information from somebody else. Everything that you have heard me say all the wisdom that I've shared with you, however little that is, came from here. Okay? That's where it came from, and it came from him. So ultimately, the one who needs the recognition is God, not men. Uh, but our tendency is to lift up men and, and honor them in ways that isn't really fitting. We've got to be careful about it. Now, this is especially seen in what he says next. He says, uh, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that none of you may say that you are baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephan Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. He says some really interesting things here about baptism uh, and this idea that he's not sent to baptize. And what, what does he mean whenever he says this? Uh, that Christ has not sent me, God has not sent me to baptize. And then he goes in and says, I didn't baptize hardly any of you. Well, think about it. They're comparing who baptized them. They're comparing who baptized them. Have you ever made the statement, well, he baptized me? As though, well, you know, that was, that was this big name preacher, and he baptized me. I'll never forget the first time I ever baptized somebody. Um, they asked me, oh, is this your first baptism? 
And I was like, yeah? He's like, ah, I, I'm the one who was first baptized by you. And I was like, well, whoa, wait a second. That's not right, you know? It doesn't matter. The point is it doesn't matter who does the baptizing. And Paul makes this kind of clear that you're not better because Paul baptized you. It's not about that. You're not baptized in the name of Paul. Uh, and it's, you're not better because some great preacher baptized you. That doesn't make you a better Christian. It doesn't mean you won in some way. In the Easter egg hunt we did today, uh, kids did this very same kind of thing. Uh, they were just supposed to get 10 eggs. Uh, so there wasn't going to be a competition to who has the most eggs. But we're going to have a competition about who gets the 10 eggs the fastest. And everybody went around saying, I got, I got them the fastest. No, I got them the fastest. No, I got them the fastest, you know. There's this competition that comes up. It's like, okay, but what do you get out of that? Nothing. Nothing. And we'll do the same thing about baptism, as though it has some significance who baptized you. The, the, the working in baptism is God, not the person. Okay, It doesn't matter if the person who's baptized you has ever preached a day in their life. They're, if they're a believer and they baptize you, then... God is able to work in the baptism just as much as in any other baptism from any other uh, person and believer. So, so it didn't matter. And Paul's trying to, to say it doesn't matter and stop emphasizing and focusing on things that aren't significant. In order to divide, in order to choose sides, in order to distinguish yourself and say like the disciples did over and over, I am the greatest. You See, that's what it all boils down to is this sense of pride and arrogance and wanting to be the greatest. Really, as, as preachers, uh, what we want is not just to baptize. And I think that's what he's, he's kind of insinuating and implying here. Baptism is important. Uh, we could study all the texts that point to baptism as an essential element to salvation, that God is working through the baptism. There's faith that we're exhibiting that God is going to work in the baptism and raise us from spiritual death into new life. But ultimately, Paul's mission was to develop faith in Christ that would result in an obedient and submissive heart. And that's what he's all about. And as he says that at the end, uh, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom, uh, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. What he's saying is, uh, I didn't come so that uh, you could hear something that would tickle your ears and make you happy. I came to share with you the good news of God's saving grace. And I came to share it with you in the plainest way possible so that if you believed it, you would know you have it. You weren't just tricked by some fancy speaker but you understood the truth and you believed it with all your heart and you submitted your life to it because you heard that Jesus has died on a cross suffering for you to be forgiven of your sins. You recognized that you were a sinner and in need of his saving grace and that message of the cross was powerful to you and it hit you in the heart and it stuck with you and it demanded a response, a submission. You see, Paul's message is not really focused on them. It's focused on Christ. It's not focused on making everybody like Paul. 
or making everybody else happy with the things that he's saying and the way that he's saying them. It's focused on exalting Christ and letting the cross of Christ have all the power in the conversion of souls. Because those who are converted with any other means, they won't submit their whole lives to Christ. If you're not converted because you believe in the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus and you're not, you're not convinced that you need to live your life for him, then were you converted? Did you really put on Christ, enter into the body of Christ, and begin your walk in newness of life? Or did you choose to just go about the old ways wearing a new name and acting the part? Paul is here not so that people can act the part, but so that people can be the body of Christ. And that's what the word is supposed to accomplish. So whether I'm having a good day and I'm real funny and I'm real likable up here, or it's the worst and, and you can tell I hadn't slept or something's going on and, and it's just fumbling through and the word's coming out, may the power of the word come through and convert souls. And that should be my goal as a preacher. And that should be what you hope for as a listener. Uh, let's apply this to ourselves and understand uh, this idea of division and the divisive behavior that we can have. We don't want to create sides. Okay? We start to see that develop, that we've created sides, and some people have this preference, and some people have that preference, and they start thinking, well, I'm better because I think this way, and I believe all these things, and then, then all of you, then we need to mesh those two together and get them communicating <coughs> and getting them, getting them to agree in some way and, and joining together. Uh, even though you were uh, converted by Paul and you were converted by Apollos, who cares? Uh, get together and understand how you can work together to glorify God because Christ is the one who needs to be exalted, not whoever it was uh, that, that converted you. Preachers are always uh, you know, worthy of uh, you know, love and affection for the, the, the gifts that they're given and, and the sacrifices that they make in some cases, but ultimately our loyalty is to Christ. That's who we're loyal to. And if I'm up here and I'm saying things that are contrary to the word, then I don't care how well I say it or how likable I am as I say it, you're doing me a disservice if you don't come and talk to me about it. Because your loyalty and my loyalty and everyone's loyalty should be to Christ. Uh, so instead of creating a divisive atmosphere, we should seek to have unity. Unity in the truth. Uh, and, and work together as a team. <laughs> that statement, teamwork makes the dream work. I've been uh, coaching now for two, se two seasons of soccer. It's my third season, and, and I'm starting to get the hang of it, and I'm really enjoying it. Um, but I've made it my mission to not just coach the kids, but to actually give them something to take with them in life, because I don't know if I'll get them next season. I've kind of come to that realization. Uh, but one of the things I'm trying to teach them and help them understand is if you can learn to be a good team player, then that's going to go with you in life. Everybody will want you to be on their team. And this is instructional stuff, so this didn't necessarily come from uh, the Bible. But if you can learn how to be a good team player, everybody wants you on their team. And that should be our focus, is being a good team player, being someone who's easy to work with, someone who is agreeable uh, up until the line that's trying to make things work, 
maybe trying to refine and trying to correct and trying to bring things back in line with what's the most effective and most efficient way to serve God and the most uh, prosperous way to glorify God. But overall, I want to be a team player. Use me. You know, Let me know how I can help you. And I'm willing to serve in whatever way. And ultimately, we take our praise that, that we want to give uh, these men who have these abilities and we turn them to Christ and we say, thank you, Christ. Thank you, God, for giving these abilities. Because it's not in the person who has the ability, but it's in the one who gave it. That really we should be giving all of our gratefulness and our thanks. That's what Paul wants and that's what we should want as members of the body, as leaders in the body, is for Christ to be honored and glorified by whatever abilities we have. I'll tell you this, every time that I get up here now, I uh, didn't do this all the time, but every time I get up here, uh, y'all are praying for me, I hear it in the prayers, and I'm praying for myself. And if I say something that sticks, I want to tell you, it's God working, not me. And I firmly believe that. Uh, and that's the way we should look at it. Uh, I appreciate the the kind words that y'all give me, but give even more to God and Christ for working in me to provide that to you. Uh, if you're fed, it's because of him, not because of me. So I hope that helps you at, uh, in your mindset and your thoughts. I hope it helps us all as I myself consider how to be less divisive and how to think less of myself and more of Christ. Uh, I hope that helps you as much as it's helped me. If you're here tonight and you have not received the grace of God, uh, it's available to you. It's available to all of us who are willing to put on Christ and submit our lives to him. If you know what he's done for you on the cross, why wouldn't you give him your life? He's taken those who are sinful and undeserving and he's placed them on the highest place. He's put them right next to him and given them every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places for all eternity. And it's worthy of submitting our lives to that, to, that, to his cause. And being a part of his body. Uh, if you know what you need to do and you're willing to do it, you can do it tonight. And you can receive all those spiritual blessings. Will you please let us know what you need. Please come as we stand and as we